is good and God is here among us and I'm glad that you're here with us as well. Some of you may have uh, been introduced to our church through our Labor Day picnic and uh, many, we met many people at the picnic and some of them said they wanted to come visit our church or check out our church. So if you're one of those who's a guest here, uh, thank you for coming. I hope that this is a safe and welcoming place for you and we're glad to have you among us. Uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Well, thank you, Lord, that we are here. Uh, we've just sung this song about how we need you, and uh, sometimes we uh, take that for granted. Sometimes we're more aware of that, and I suppose maybe today as we uh, recall the events of 9-11 uh, 15 years ago today, I know that was a time when many in our country were grieved and hurting and afraid, and uh, we knew that we needed you then, and we still need you today, Lord. So thank you that you're here, that you're available, and that you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, John. Would you bring me that folder right there? Might be kind of helpful, huh? Thank you. <laughs> well, this is a momentous day. I mean, it's a very cool day. We could uh, commission our children's ministry staff and our, our site. Site is our youth group. It stands for Serving Youth on the East Side. Uh, but I love, you know, just seeing all these choice servants of God who have stepped up to serve in our children's ministry and our youth ministry, and as they begin a new ministry year together, I'm glad that we could commission them. I hope you'll keep praying for them. Uh, I, I heard that recently we had a vacation Bible school one week in July, and that five children came to give their lives to Jesus during that week. So awesome thing that happened, not only in VBS, but I know that God is working among us in our classes while we continue worship here. Those classes are, are going on now, and uh, we're so thankful for those who serve. Uh, these are uh, great days, momentous days. Another thing that happened this week was that our elder team met. Okay, that's not that momentous. We meet several times a month. But what was momentous was that we made a decision uh, to select three new elders for our church. And, and you folks have been you know, thinking about this, praying about this. Many of you gave feedback on our three elder candidates. Uh, we are confirming all three of them, uh, Tabby Siochi, Jason Wong, and... Um, Lowell Sung, sorry. <laughs> I got so many things on my mind, like what's going to happen during the national anthem at the Seahawks game? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we're going to, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to the ministry community uh, breakfast. It's on Saturday, September 24th, and I'm going to interview our three new elder candidates, so you'll get a chance to uh, get to know them better, and I'll, I'll get all their names down by then. Uh, but that's going to be cool. So we're really thankful that God has provided us our three new elders, and uh, thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your, um, your feedback as they were candidates. And please continue to pray for our elders our, our, and our team. And uh, we're moving forward together. Also, um, this is the opening day for the Seahawks. Did you know that? Totally unaware, right? <laughs> and uh, I think this year, more than any other year that I can think of, People are going to really try to watch the game from the beginning to see what happens in the pregame national anthem and, uh, you know, who, who's going to, to stand and, and honor our flag and our country, who's going to sit or kneel uh, in protest of the injustices that still mar our great nation. And uh, I, I read last night I, that what Doug Baldwin said the Seahawks are going to do. So uh, we'll see how all of that plays out, but we know this is an exciting day for football fans. Not just Seahawks fans, we have a few New York Giants fans, and I don't know why, but no, 
<laughs> no, we're all good. We're all good. We're all one. Uh, this morning, I want to continue the series that we began last week, and this series is called Loving as Jesus Loves. And during these opening weeks of the series, this is going to be a 12-week series, Loving as Jesus Loves, but during these opening weeks of the series, we want to especially focus on how Jesus loves us, how Jesus loves us. And you'll see in your program that the title of the message today is How Jesus Loves Us, Forgiven and Set Free. Now, our scripture this morning in the Gospel of Luke is going to uh, really combine two stories that we may not have associated together. I think both of these stories individually are pretty well known. One is about a, a blind man who, who calls out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and he gets healed. And that's a pretty well-known story if you've been in church for a while or if you grew up in Sunday school like I did. Uh, then the other story, the second story, is about a man who has no physical ailments. He doesn't need any miraculous healing, but I would say he needs healing in his soul. And his name is Zacchaeus. We know that he's a man of position, of power. Uh, we also know that he's wealthy, very wealthy, and we know that he is unpopular, unpopular because he is a tax collector and he's a chief tax collector. So let me read the passage. This is from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to chapter 19, verse 10. Two stories will kind of, in fact, you may know these stories separately, and I think it kind of becomes powerful because there's some cool things that happen when we consider these two stories together. The healing of the blind man, and I guess we might say the healing of this man Zacchaeus. Here's how the story goes. Luke chapter 18, I'm going to start in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Son of David, that's sort of a, a messianic title. When he says, Son of David, there's some acknowledgement that Jesus is not just a man, not just a religious teacher, not just a prophet, but there's something related here to maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Okay, that's the first story. It's a good story. Um, a man is in desperate straits. He's uh, there on the roadside begging. That's what he does day after day, month after month, year after year. I guess we would say he has no hope for job promotion or or a better life. He's just kind of mired in his daily routine, and uh, he's really pretty helpless. Somebody's even going to have to lead him to that place where he sits begging by the side of the road day after day. Okay, so that story began and said Jesus was approaching Jericho, chapter 18, verse 35. And then when you get to the, new, the second story, chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus has now entered into Jericho, and here's how the second story goes, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was, there, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Okay, some of us relate to that, right? So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And for Zacchaeus, that would mean this man too is one of God's chosen people. He too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, meaning Jesus, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, good story. I I just need to pray again, if you would join me in prayer. Lord, this is your word, your holy word, and we thank you for it. And although these words were written uh, many years ago, uh, we know that uh, you continue to breathe life into them through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray today that you would make us uh, able uh, to hear what you want to say and teach from this passage, from these stories, so that these stories would be ever new, and so that we too might be ever new. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So what do these two stories have in common? I mean, these are two men, uh, presumably Jewish men, uh, but they're at opposite ends of the social spectrum, right? I mean, there's the blind beggar who's obviously impoverished and Uh, has disabilities that are controlling his life. And then on the other end, there's Zacchaeus, who's a man of position and power. Uh, He is despised, though, because, you know, Jewish people, they didn't like the tax collectors. The tax collectors identified with the Roman oppressors, and they worked for the Romans. They're Jewish people, usually, who worked for the Romans. And uh, the way tax collecting worked was that uh, people could bid or, you know, use their influence or power to, to get the right to collect taxes over a certain area or region or part of the town. And if that was your area, then Rome would say, here's how much you have to collect from the people who live in that area. And your salary, your compensation is anything else you can collect. So, as you can imagine, this was a profession that brought out a greedy people and brought out the greed in greedy people. And this man, Zacchaeus, he's not only a tax collector, but he is the, one of the chief tax collectors. So he's you know, risen through the ranks. He's got power and influence. Uh, and Jewish people hated these tax collectors because here are fellow Jews who work for our oppressors, the, the Romans, and, uh, and they work for the Romans to exploit their own people. And so they are not popular. They were kind of viewed as religiously unclean. They were not acceptable and uh, people basically kind of despise them. And so I think that's the situation here uh, with Zacchaeus. Now, I want you to see a couple things uh, that are common in both stories. In both stories, uh, there's a man in need. One is in physical need. One has all kinds of other, I don't know, we would say emotional, social, psychological, uh, self-esteem needs or whatever. But both of them are, have great need. Both of them know something about Jesus. Both of them, when they hear Jesus is coming by, they're very alert, they're attentive, and they're very motivated. And so we hear this, uh, this blind man, when he hears Jesus is passing by, uh, despite all convention, he starts just shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says the people around him are basically telling him, shut up, uh, don't bother Jesus. And I, I suppose the perspective is, uh, you're a blind man, you're poor, you know, you're a beggar on the side of the road, you're a nobody, you're a nobody, don't bother Jesus. I, I mean, Jesus is an important person, and, and uh, you know, important people can have an audience with him, perhaps, but not you. So just shut up, 
stay invisible, stay out of the way, and don't bother Jesus and don't bother us. The man is not deterred. He, he shouts again, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he's highly motivated. He knows Jesus is passing by. Now, I've mentioned this before. You know, in the Greek language, there's two different words for time. One is the word chronos, like chronological time. It's the daily passing of time, of, of the hours and the days. It's normal, ordinary time. And there's a different word for time, which has to do with crisis time. The word is kairos, kairos time. Basically, kairos time is like, this is a chosen moment. This is a defining moment. This is a special opportunity. Now, I think what's happening here is this blind man, he hears Jesus is coming by, and he recognizes this is a kairos moment. This is an opportunity, perhaps the opportunity of a lifetime, and he's not going to let that opportunity pass him by. So he begins to shout out, despite everybody else telling him to hush, he's shouting out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's not going to be deterred because Jesus is passing by. Now, so one of the similarities with the second story about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming by that area. And Jesus has no physical ailments that we know of, but he also has a great need, and he also is highly motivated. When he hears Jesus is coming by, for him, this is a kairos moment. In fact, he does something that I think would be very unusual. Imagine this chief tax collector, a man of power and position and wealth. And what he does is he, he sees Jesus coming with the crowd, and so he runs, Zacchaeus runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree. Okay, true confessions. When's the last time you climbed a tree? Okay, this man, of, okay, I know Bart does, but <laughs> for his work. But um, you know what I mean? It's like, this guy's highly motivated because Jesus is coming by and he wants to see Jesus. And so he's not so concerned at, about what people are going to think or, or what social etiquette requires. And he's just going to run, climb trees because he wants to see Jesus. Here's another commonality between the two stories. Although these two men are from opposite ends of the social spectrum and opposite ends of the financial spectrum, uh, in both of them, for both of them, Jesus is very concerned. Actually, we might think of it this way. Uh, one of them is among the oppressed. He, he's a poor, blind beggar. He's sort of at the bottom of, of the social strata. Uh, the other man is a man of position and power. But it, I think when you put these two stories together, here's what you see. Jesus cares about the oppressed. And equally, Jesus cares about the oppressor. He loves them both. He welcomes them both. He's reaching out and connecting with both of them. Uh, one writer, Frederick Buechner, he's a wonderful uh, Christian author. Uh, this is what he said about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a sawed-off little, sawed-off because he's short, right? He has to climb the tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus is a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. But Jesus welcomes him aboard anyway. And that day, Jesus, I mean Zacchaeus, in one day, he goes from being a spectator watching Jesus from a tree to being a guy who gets into the game. He's been loved well by Jesus. Remember, when, when, when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down because we need to eat at your house today. And do you remember what the scripture says? The scripture says uh, two things. One, Zacchaeus came down immediately and, and he welcomed him gladly. So he's overjoyed because, you know, Zacchaeus, he's in a very different position than that blind beggar. But here's what they have in common. Uh, both of them are among the forgotten people. Both of them have been put, sort of put, out of the side, put to the side uh, by people who are respectable, right? 
And so Zacchaeus, you know what I think his need is? He's hungry for acceptance, right? He wants to be validated as a person. He's done a lot of maneuvering and conniving and manipulating, perhaps, uh, to get to a position of uh, prominence and wealth. But he's, in a way, kind of like a social outcast among his Jewish brethren. They don't really view him among, as they are sons of Abraham, you know, the children of God among the chosen people. And so I think for Zacchaeus, this is the day his life gets changed. Because when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, we need to eat at your house today. And we've talked about this. That's table fellowship, which in the Jewish culture is highly, highly significant. Uh, For you to sit down and eat with somebody means not just, oh yeah, we're going to hang out and grab a bite. For you to sit down and eat with someone uh, meant uh, something so significant. It it meant that you accept the person. Uh, It it means that uh, you're extending friendship. It means that we're in fellowship together. And if there's anything wrong between us, it means there's forgiveness. We won't sit down at the table together until we have forgiven each other. So when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, you know, me and my band of merry disciples, we got to eat at your house today. The Bible tells us Zacchaeus, he's just overjoyed. He is so glad because it means not just we're going to share a meal, but it means, wow, Jesus notices me. And Jesus accepts me. And Jesus forgives me. And Jesus loves me, and he wants to be with me. This is so powerful. He cares for the oppressed, and he cares for the oppressor as well, and he's reaching out to both. So in this one day, Zacchaeus, he goes from the guy sitting in the tree trying to get a glimpse of Jesus uh, to being somebody who is loved and accepted by Jesus, who experiences his his love and acceptance and forgiveness, and he's radically transformed. So by the end of the passage, you you see Zacchaeus doing this. Uh, With no prompting, no pressure, uh, Zacchaeus, you know, after the dinner or in the middle of the dinner, he does this. He says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know what's happening? Zacchaeus has met Jesus. Zacchaeus has experienced uh, how Jesus loves him. And Zacchaeus is being changed. I don't think he cared at all about the poor. He has spent much of his career exploiting the poor. Now he's concerned about the poor. He's got compassion all of a sudden. It's like he's converted, right? Uh, Not not only compassion, but generosity. He says, I'm going to give away half of what I own, half of what I possess to the poor. I mean, I mean, that's radical transformation, right? Not just a change of heart, but a change of lifestyle, a change of spending habits and saving habits. Uh, he's beginning to change. Now he's got compassion for the poor. Now he's got generosity. And you know what else he has? A commitment to justice. Did you notice that? That he says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and of course he's done that a whole lot, he says, I am going to pay them back four times that amount. So here's a man who's being set free. He knows he's forgiven, and now he's been set free from his greed, from the strangle of materialism over his life. He's been being set free to be compassionate, to become generous, to be committed to justice, and he's turning away from this old self-serving life, and now he's embracing his new identity. Jesus says, this man too, he is a son of Abraham even though his Jewish brethren had had rejected him. This man, too, is the son of Abraham. And Zacchaeus begins to embrace his identity as a child of God, as a member of God's chosen people. And and you think about it. For these two men, 
Just like today, we know this is a momentous day. It's the anniversary of 9-11. It's the start of the football season. It's the commissioning of our Sunday school teachers, and it's the start of our new ministry year in many ways. Uh, but who knows what will happen this year, right? I mean, who knows? This could be the start of another Super Bowl season. Uh, more children and, and youth could come to know Jesus and become followers of him this year. Uh, but it starts somewhere. It starts, it's got to get set in motion. And so you think about this for Zacchaeus and for the blind man. One decision, crying out to Jesus, climbing a tree to see Jesus. One decision sets off a chain, a chain reaction that dramatically affects their lives, that enriches their lives. And for both the blind man and for Zacchaeus, it begins with Jesus coming my way. Jesus is coming his way. So one makes a special effort to make sure that he's heard and he's shouting out. Uh, one makes a special effort to get to the place where he can see Jesus and they both know Jesus is passing by. This is a Kairos moment, and they don't want to miss the opportunity. And, and then I want you to notice that Jesus makes a special effort to touch their lives. And, and with Zacchaeus, he makes a special effort to hang out with a man that other people just despise. He's the kind of man that other people just whisper about him behind his back. Uh, they hate him, but Jesus has compassion on him. And you know, this is the way of Jesus. You know, in John chapter 3, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? John 3.16, a lot of us know that verse. Do you know the verse right after that? John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's a word of good news because many people feel condemned. Some people feel condemned because... Their marriage broke up and they went through a divorce. Some people feel condemned because they have struggled with an addiction and as much as they've tried, they haven't been able to completely get free from that addiction. Uh, some people feel condemned because of their uh, sexual past and mistakes that they've made. Uh, some people feel condemned because uh, they just felt like they never really measured up to the expectations of parents or others that they looked up to. Uh, there's a lot of feelings of condemnation. And some people feel condemned because uh, they're still single when they thought they would be married by the, at this point of their life. Uh, this is what happens with, with Zacchaeus. Whatever cloud of condemnation he would live under, he's now been forgiven and he's been set free. And it changes his life forever. For the blind man at the end of his story, it says that, uh, he received his sight, and he followed Jesus, and he praised God, and when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So for the blind man, he has a transforming experience. His kairos moment of calling out to Jesus results not only in his physical healing, but now he becomes a Jesus follower. You know what we call those people today? Christians, disciples. He starts to follow Jesus, and he's praising God all the way. He's not only been physically healed, I think his spirit is now soaring as he's come into a relationship with the Lord of Lords, the Son of David, the King of Kings, Jesus the Messiah. And this is how uh, Jesus loves us. The same way he loves the woman caught in adultery. Remember her story? And Jesus says, woman, is there no one here to condemn you? And, and she says, no one, sir. And, and then Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Uh, Jesus loves us uh, the same way he loves the, the blind man who, who sits helplessly begging every day by the side of the road. 
Jesus loves us the same way that he loves despised, miserly tax collector Zacchaeus, who's sitting up there in a tree. And he's inviting us. He's inviting them and he's inviting each of us to trade in condemnation for acceptance, for the grace of God, to trade in shame for love, God's love, to trade in a life of sin to become a new creation. This is so vital. You know, our, our spiritual life really begins not with us and our decisions. Our spiritual life really begins with understanding God and His love for us. I want to read you a few verses from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. And it's about how much the Lord loves His people. Listen to these words. This is Ezekiel 34, verses 11 to 12, and then verse 16. Ezekiel 34. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. That's good news. Those are good words. That's Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 and 12 and and verse 16. Uh, that's the good news, is that what we see is like Jesus, uh, or the Lord here, picturing himself as a shepherd, and when sheep were, had strayed from the flock, or got lost, and they're not under the care of the shepherd, uh, it's like they're sheep, but we might call them sitting ducks. You know, they're so vulnerable for attacks from wolves, and, and thieves, and robbers, and uh, the harshness of nature. And so for a sheep to be apart from the care of their shepherd meant they are in dire straits. They're in a terrible situation. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says, you know, I'm going to search for my sheep. I'm going to look after them. And he says, I'm going to look after my sheep. I'm going to rescue them from all the places where they were scattered uh, during the storm or in the darkness. And I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And it's like Jesus is going out looking for people who are open and receptive. And I think that day around Jericho, nobody's more open and receptive and, and motivated and hungry than the blind beggar by the side of the road and Zacchaeus. They're so motivated. They've got to do whatever they can uh, to get to Jesus. One man longs for the restoration of his eyesight and through his faith in Jesus, he receives not only eyesight and healing, but the result is not just physical well-being, but now he becomes a follower of Jesus, praising God all the way. The other man named Zacchaeus, he lives with a deep hunger in his own soul. He's wealthy, but his heart is empty. He lives in affluence, but that affluence is accompanied by a gnawing guilt from his self-serving lifestyle. From, from the way his lifestyle has been maintained by exploiting other people. More money won't really cure his ills or cleanse his shame or, or forgive his sins. More money won't earn him respect. Despite his trappings of success on the outside, inside, I think Zacchaeus is just as lost and helpless as the blind beggar by the roadside. And these men, they need Jesus the God who loves the oppressed and the oppressor, uh, the one who comes to set them both free. And neither man gets excluded from Jesus' love. Uh, many years ago, 
Uh, Edith Francis Schaeffer uh, wrote this book called uh, No Little People. And, and the idea here is that with God, there are no little people. There's no one that God looks at them and says, oh, well, they don't matter. They don't count. And, and so I want us to just receive that word today. When God looks around, there's no little people. It's not like, oh, I'm, I don't, I'm not concerned about them, you know. They, they don't follow the right football team anyway. Yeah? Uh, with God, there's no little people. There's no people that he's written off. Uh, there's no people that are so far they can't be reached by his grace. Uh, there's no people that, uh, that he would say they're not uh, worthwhile. They're, they may be poor and disabled, like the blind man. Uh, they may be wealthy like Zacchaeus. They may be children. Earlier in Luke chapter 18 is that famous story about the little children are being brought to Jesus and, and other people want to say, Jesus, you know, don't bother Jesus. You know, children were not esteemed in their culture. And Jesus says, well, let the children come to me. Actually, the kingdom of God belongs to, to people like this, people who are open and receptive and, and willing to receive and eager and teachable. And so there's no little people that don't matter. Children matter, the poor matter, the disabled matter, the wealthy matter, uh, those whom society overlooks, they matter, those whom society despises, they matter, they all matter to Jesus. It's like he's casting this really super wide net of grace to embrace anybody that's going to come to him, and he wants them to come. He wants to welcome them all. He wants to bring them home to God. And, you know, he's still at it today. Now he's been crucified, resurrected, uh, ascended to heaven, exalted. But he's still around today by his spirit. And through his spirit, Jesus comes to weary people and to broken people and to shameful people and addicted people and dysfunctional people. And he comes with love and he comes with acceptance and he comes with forgiveness. There's no little people that don't matter to him. And what he does is he brings his love. He brings the Father's love. He brings God's love to this sad, broken world. And that love, it's that love that changes people's hearts. The first man, the blind man, not only has his eyesight restored, but he has a whole new vision for what life is all about. Now he's praising God. Now he's got joy and gratitude. And now he's got faith. Jesus says, it's your faith that's healed you. He's ready and willing to follow Jesus anywhere. What about you? What about me? Uh, the second man has been set free. He's been forgiven. He's been set free from greed, from guilt. I think that Zacchaeus that day is set free from the emptiness of his life. Now he has something better and higher to live for. He takes up his, his new identity. He's a son of Abraham. He's one of God's chosen. He belongs to God. And, and his life begins to take on a whole new direction. Now he's discovering compassion for the poor. Now he's discovering generosity with his money. Now he's discovering a commitment to justice for the oppressed. These men are truly forgiven and set free. And then Jesus declares at Zacchaeus' house that day, today salvation has come to this house. And salvation uh, in their language and culture didn't just mean that you get to go to heaven when you die. It means that. But salvation has to do with, with healing and wholeness. Salvation in the Bible is, is not only uh, heavenly fire insurance in case you die, you get to go to heaven. 
Salvation in the Bible, it's about redemption, that you've been redeemed from all your sins because Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. And salvation is about reconciliation, that, that people who have been sinful and far from God and, and in a sense banished from God's presence because he's holy and they are not, are now reconciled with a holy God because Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven and cleansed and to come before God made new, accepted, and loved. And salvation is also about restoration as God begins to restore our lives. The image of God which was built into us when he made us but has become marred and scarred and dirty and sometimes unrecognizable, that image of God is now being cleaned up and restored. Uh, the Bible says that the more we get to know Jesus, you know what happens? Day by day, we are conformed increasingly into his image, into his likeness. And so this salvation, it's about heaven, it's about forgiveness, it's about redemption, and it's about reconciliation, and it's about restoration, and it all comes when Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, and newness has begun. Well, it's never too late. We can, you can, begin again. Uh, think about the people in the Bible that had a new beginning. People who had uh, difficult, uh, often sinful, rebellious, sometimes shameful pasts. Think about what God did through Abraham, the liar. Remember Abraham used to lie about his wife. She's not my wife, she's my sister. Think about what God did in the life of Jacob, who was the cheat. He used to cheat his brother and exploit other people around him. Or, or, or the day when God took David the adulterer and forgave him and said, I can still use you. Or think about some of the other people that had these life-changing encounters with God. There was Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, who became an ancestor of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus the Messiah. Think about Peter, the coward who denied Jesus three times. About Nicodemus, who was the proud religious leader who was either too afraid or too ashamed to see Jesus in the light of day, so he seeks him out in the darkness of evening for a personal consultation. All these people are unlikely converts. All of them encounter the God of love, and all of them experience life forgiven and set free. And so can you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And not only saved, but forgiven. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, Jesus is coming. He's passing by. And this is a Kairos moment. He's coming near you. Now, what do you need to do to make sure that you're with him. Let's pray. Thank you for how you love us, Lord. And just a reminder from the scriptures and from the stories of scripture that you really are there for us, Lord. Sometimes other people write us off, but sometimes we have to confess we've written ourselves off. We have given ourselves messages that we cannot be forgiven or that we are unlovable, that we're not acceptable. 
that surely you must be mad at us. You, miss, you must have given up on us by now. And Lord, let those emotions and feelings be overcome by your truth. And as you came to the blind beggar by the side of the road and restored his life and gave him a new life, and as you came to Zacchaeus and welcomed him and embraced him and helped him to, to find a new path for his life, now delivered, now set free, no longer lost. Lord, we pray too that we might find our way to you at this day, that we might find our way home with you and enjoy the life that you have created for us, made available to us, and that you're calling us into. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.